Today on CityCast Pittsburgh. Six months ago, there were zero unionized Starbucks locations. And as of this week, there are 165 nationwide, including seven here in Pittsburgh. At the center of it all here are queer folks. Union organizers say LGBTQ plus people are hired for their identities, and Starbucks makes good money on that. But the incentives employees were promised, like gender-affirming healthcare, aren't always accessible, especially if those same employees try to unionize. Today I'm talking to Daisy Pitkin. She lives here in Pittsburgh, she's an author and national union organizer, and she's been working alongside these Starbucks employees for months now. It's Thursday, June 23rd. I'm Francesca DeBecco, and this is CityCast Pittsburgh. So Starbucks sells itself as a friendly, inclusive environment for the LGBTQ plus community, but you've been helping coffee workers organize here in Pittsburgh for a while. What kind of concerns are you hearing from them? Well, you know, Starbucks loves to call workers partners, and that's a term that has been really used on the campaign a lot because what workers are really seeking is a true partnership with this company. You know, the company does hold itself up as this really inclusive space. And lots of queer and trans workers have gotten jobs at Starbucks stores here in our city in Pittsburgh. But all across the country, it tends to be a place where queer and trans folks find jobs because they're in community with each other, because the store, due to that community that they have with each other, can end up feeling like a kind of safe space for them. Right. A third place. A third place. Yes. The company loves to talk about the third place and the third place being, you know, when you're not at work or at home. Starbucks wants you to think of it as a place where you can go and spend time. And the partners, the workers, take that really seriously. So I talked to some Starbucks partners who marched in this year's Pride Parade to ask them why it was important to organize with their fellow queer partners. This is Tori Tambellini from the Market Square location and Brett Tabarelli from the Penn Center East Starbucks. I think Starbucks should have recognized that the demographic that they sell, I mean, they literally sell us as their you know, their brand. And I think they should have recognized the type of people are usually a minority that have been affected by major political issues or major people just like standing above us. And we won't we won't back down. I mean, we never have. We're a community that will always stand up for what's right. And regardless of how we are looked at, we know we're standing up for what's right. It's kind of a community that's been fighting our entire, we spent our entire lives fighting to be recognized. And unionizing is like no different. Like we had to be recognized for like our identities and now we're being recognized as a union. And it's kind of something, something we've always done. And I feel like that's why we've been successful. Incredible. I think that Brett and Tori are exactly right. And this is a kind of analysis that I see all across the country. Store organizers recognize that, you know, in creating the third place that Starbucks really wants to create, what it's doing is hiring people who it believes can create that dynamic with customers when they come in. So when you go into Starbucks and you order a cup of coffee, Coffee is not the only thing on the menu that Starbucks is selling. They're selling an interaction with a certain group of people that they have created to match 
the sort of aesthetic character of the company. It's the atmosphere. It's the atmosphere. They're selling the atmosphere. They, they're very specific about it too. They're selling an experience. They say that. Um, I mean, on their website, it says they're selling an experience. They're selling a third place. Mm. They're selling people and people's identities, right? And they're making bank doing it. Yeah. And workers are fed up. They realize that my identity is being sold by this company and I'm barely making a living wage or I'm not making a living wage. And they're cutting my hours. They're threatening my access to health insurance for organizing. They're firing some of my coworkers for organizing, for unionizing. And it's ridiculous, you know? Right. A lot of the employees at Starbucks are very young people early 20s, some of them teenagers. Yeah, I think Tori was 20 years old. And one of the fiercest union leaders I've ever met. Yeah, truly. Badass, right? And that is that is not an exception on the campaign. That's more the rule than the exception. And they're young people who are kind of staring down numerous existential crises, mm -hmm. right? Climate change. Will there be a habitable planet or not? Will right. we be saddled with crippling debt the rest of our lives mm -hmm. or not? Will we live in a democracy 20 years yeah. from now or not, right? These are real questions that people are faced with. And unionizing seems like a thing that they can do right now to start reclaiming a democratic space or building a democratic space, right? Yeah. It really does seem like young queer folks are at the center of this movement. Why do you why do you think that that is? I think that Starbucks has become, because it paints itself as such an inclusive company, it has drawn lots of queer folks to get jobs there. And then it kind of dangles this idea of gender affirming surgery as a benefit. And most folks who work there, who maybe were drawn to the company because of that benefit, don't actually ever get to access it or they get close to accessing it, and then their hours get cut, and they get set back. Um, or they finally access it, and they realize that the that it ends up costing so much money out of pocket that they still can't afford it. Mm. But, you know, Starbucks has built this space where lots of queer and trans folks work. Part of the work of union organizing is fighting a winning campaign. And part of it is building a beloved community while you're doing that. And in a lot of campaigns at different kinds of work sites, the building of the community takes a lot of work because workers work in a place where they're in a factory and they, it's loud and they can't really talk to each other on a daily basis. And they work in different departments that maybe take breaks at different times and they don't interface with everyone who works in the workplace. Starbucks is different in some ways because the beloved community already exists. And of course, that's why Starbucks is cutting hours so drastically and trying to trace people out. They're trying to destroy the beloved community because this campaign is it's about having a union and it's about material benefits and workers needing access to those benefits. But it's also in a different way, it's kind of a community defense project. Yeah, I want to talk about something you mentioned there, um, the gender affirming health care. You said that Sometimes it's hard for people to even get enough consistent hours to get access to their health care since they need to work at least 20 hours a week to get coverage. 
Is this true across the board or, you know, just with folks who are seeking gender-affirming health care? What's the situation like? Like, what are you hearing? That's true across the board. It's difficult to get access to the health insurance because of the hours cuts. Um, And also the, the deductible is expensive. So even if people do access, you know, it costs a lot to actually be able to get healthcare. Um, now, since workers have started organizing, there have been specific threats that Starbucks has made to partners who have jobs there, mainly because they really desperately need access to gender affirming care. It's life saving care for a lot of people. And the company is threatening to take it away or change it. Or sometimes they don't threaten that as directly as saying, you don't know what will happen. We don't know which benefits will still exist and which ones won't if you go into contract negotiations. Um, So either explicitly or implicitly threatening to take that benefit away from people who desperately, desperately need access to it. Right. And there was a story in Bloomberg this month that included a Pittsburgher, actually. Um, she had plans to take advantage of Starbucks gender-affirming health care, and two managers held a meeting with her, brought up these plans, and told her that if she unionized, that benefit might go away. Um, you know, I talked to a Starbucks partner from the Market Square location, Kayla Enos, at Pittsburgh's Pride. She's trans, and she's still under her parents' insurance until she turns 26 next year, but She's worried. I've worked at this company for two years now at this location. And like, I know sometimes like my hours dip below 20 because I'm just a barista uh, and I don't have that shift role. So like it would be really like frustrating or kind of like it would make me really anxious if I felt like um, my healthcare would be denied to me just because of the amount of hours that I get in a week because it's not always under my control or like if I got sick for any reason and that impacted. Um, so yeah, it kind of feels like a carrot on a stick that's held in front of me. That's like, you can get this carrot that helps you live the way that you want, but also we're not going to really meet conditions that are like sustainable for yourself. So you could get it, but it might, you might not. It's like not guaranteed. It's kind of like, oh, you, you want, you want healthcare? Mm, Guess you got to work a little bit harder. But also if you, if like your manager decides that you only get 15 hours this week, then you only get 15 hours and it's. Yeah. How much you can do about it all the time. That was Tori again at the end there. Uh, Daisy, how often are you hearing stuff like that? I mean, I'm hearing it very often um, with gender affirming healthcare as an as an issue that gets dangled and then threatened that it will go away if people don't just do their work and be quiet, um, which is really what the company is telling workers at this point. Um, if you speak up, we'll take away your benefits. That's the way the threat is being interpreted, right? What kinds of threats exactly? Have you heard what these conversations sound like? They're also finding other kinds of benefits that are really important to people. And in these one-on-one conversations that managers have with workers, they hone in on the benefit that they know that particular person really counts on or needs, and they threaten to take it away. You know, a lot of workers make a living at Starbucks year round, even if they are on an academic schedule, because over the summer, they transfer to a store that's closer to, say, their parents' house if they're staying with their parents for the summer. That was one of the first threats the company started making sort of universally across the campaign, that they would take away the right to transfer to other stores. Wow. So they really have have it down to a kind of science where they're focusing in on the things that people 
need the most in order to survive and threaten to take it away. Do we know if any of these threats are being made explicitly like at Pittsburgh stores? Yes, they are. The threat to take away the right to transfer has been made at several stores. One of them was the one at Craig Street and Forbes um, in Oakland, where a lot of workers are on an academic schedule and count on the ability to transfer over the summer. So what do you do about all of this? Like as an organizer, what are the steps you can take to, you know, make sure your message is heard and, and that Starbucks is listening? You know, being an organizer in this campaign is really different from being an organizer in any other campaign that I've ever worked on. And mostly that's because on other campaigns, my job would be come up with a message that combats whatever the company is saying and help workers understand that message and talk to them. On this campaign, my job is really just to connect workers with each other. They understand full well what's going on. They're the ones who have the analysis about why the company is cutting hours, why the company is threatening to take benefits away. They're the ones who understand that, you know, come up with a message that the company could have taken these benefits away two years ago. They'll continue to threaten to take them away until we have a union contract and the benefits are written as guarantees into a legally binding contract. They're going to be able to threaten to take them away. Right. What do you think like all this organizing can teach us for the future of union organizing under corporate entities and chains like Starbucks? I hope that the model that is being built as the movement takes shape, which really we say that often on the campaign that the, we're building the plane as workers are flying it. I mean, it's the movement is taking its shape as it grows. But I, I hope that that model will kind of find its roots in other companies. And I think you're exactly right that Starbucks is such an interesting test case because we're seeing a kind of bloom of organizing happening among cultural workers, mm-hmm. you know, museum workers here in Pittsburgh. and Libraries. Yes. And then, of course, there have been fast food campaigns going on for a long time in this country, the fight for 15 being one of them. Starbucks is really right at the center of that. It is a fast food chain. It's a fast food company that has built itself as this sort of cultural institution, this third place, this coffee shop. And I think workers, they understand that though the, you know, it is a coffee company, it treats workers very much the same as McDonald's or Chipotle. And in fact, if Starbucks workers here in Pittsburgh, a lot of them wanted to quit their jobs, they could walk across the street to a Chipotle and probably make more money. They're not doing that because they believe in Starbucks. They like Starbucks. They like the community that they built with each other. And they want to stay and fight for the company. That's the way they see their fight. They're fighting to make the company the company that it can be, that it should be. So speaking of that, I know you're not from Pittsburgh originally, uh, but you're an adopted Yinzer. Um, and we're a city with a really strong history of unions. How do you think that legacy contributes to this new momentum for local organizers? You know, one of my favorite things about this campaign is the moment when a store decides to go public with their organizing campaign. And on the day that they go public, they file a petition for a union election. 
and they put a letter out over social media that at this point in the campaign, we're calling the Dear Howie letter, because <laughs> it's a letter to Howard Schultz. Right. The CEO. <laughs> the C- the interim CEO. Oh, right. Turned, and he's interim. Anyway, Dear Howie, interim CEO. Um, you know, all we have over 300 stores now that have filed for union election across the country. So there are over 300 of these letters that exist. And they're written by workers in the store. And a lot of the letters from the 12 stores in Pittsburgh that are already publicly in the movement talk about Pittsburgh and labor history in Pittsburgh being a kind of cradle of the American labor movement Mm -hmm. and being very proud of that history and being really excited to be able to write the next chapter or be part of writing the next chapter of labor history in this in this community that most of the workers here in Pittsburgh are from Pittsburgh, mm. grew up here, true Yinzers. I'm so <laughs> glad that they've adopted me as an adopted Yinzer. Absolutely. <laughs> and very gracious in that way. But they love this city and they love its history and they um, you know, are excited to to help figure out what the next chapter of labor will look like in this community. Mm. Daisy. Thank you so much for joining us. It was a joy to talk to you. And uh, thank you for telling us all about the hard work you've been doing organizing here and across the country. It's really just an honor to get to work on this campaign. And thanks for having me. It's been really fun to talk to you. We also reached out to Starbucks. A spokesperson who asked not to be identified told me she disagrees with this whole characterization. She says Starbucks corporate is not threatening to take away benefits and that, quote, it's difficult to predict the outcome of negotiations and each store's negotiation may look different. We do want to prepare partners for the possibility of the benefits being changed through the process of collective bargaining, end quote. Daisy, for her part, says none of the local stores who voted to unionize have heard back from Starbucks, yet at least. Here's some more Pittsburgh news. Airport officials have issued a, quote, declaration of commercial war, end quote, against the operators of its stores and restaurants. That's according to court documents filed last week. So all of the businesses at Pittsburgh International are overseen by a company called Freyport. It's basically in charge of PIT's whole air mall. And Freyport says the airport tried to evict everyone last week with no real warning, with armed police and everything. There's a couple of really juicy stories about it in the Trib and the Post-Gazette. Make sure to check out our newsletter this morning to read up about the whole back and forth. And Sharpsburg has a new mural. It's by artists Shane Pilster and Max Gonzalez, who were asked to paint something colorful and positive outside of the Ryzen store. You can check it out on Main and 10th. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. Megan Harris is the team lead. Mallory Falk is our audio producer. And Morgan Moody will be back on the mic next Monday. That's right, Monday. We're going daily, baby. Our theme music is by Benji, and I'm Francesca DeBecco. I write your newsletter every day, so make sure you're subscribed. If you're liking the show, please recommend it to a friend. We'll be back next week with more news from around the city. See you, neighbors. <laughs> what?
what it's so funny when you actually like listen to yourself say pittsburgh like in my head i'm saying like pittsburgh or something um anyways 